and welcome to the Fashion and the Free podcast, the show that pulls back the curtains of the fashion industry to reveal what really goes on behind closed doors, as well as teaching you some tips and tricks of the trade. I'm your host, Emma Golly, a fashion designer, consultant, and founder of Fashion and the Free. In this episode, I am going to be talking to the founder of ethical slow fashion brand Handmade Stories, Alina Brookhart Rodriguez. Alina's unique story would inspire any budding entrepreneur looking to make a difference in the world. Not to mention the fact she has managed to build her brand without any prior experience in fashion. Alina had been working in London in the advertising industry and was frustrated working in a toxic environment with long working hours. She decided to take a break from the industry and rethink her next moves. Wanting to better use her skills to help others, she went on a volunteer trip to Peru at the beginning of 2020, which specialised in helping women in local communities to set up their own businesses. One of those businesses was a weaving association to help women sell their textiles to tourists. As you can imagine, the trip did not exactly go to plan when the pandemic hit and her group were then told to go home. Alina decided to stay with the goal of helping the local community as much as she could. She ended up staying for 10 months. It was here that her brand Handmade Stories was born. This conversation took place last year in 2021 during one of our Fashion and the Free webinars, and we will be catching up with Alina later this year to find out just how far she has come since. Alina has an incredible story and tons of amazing advice. I can't wait to share it with you in this episode. Your whole story is kind of amazing because what happened is that, you know, as soon as the pandemic hit, you had pretty much everyone went home, you stayed, and I guess you felt in a way that your time wasn't, you, you know, you hadn't really finished what you'd set out to do out there. Yeah, definitely. So how did it even come about, you know, when you would think, like, how did it even come about? Like, oh, I'm, I know what I'm going to do with this. I'm, I'm going to start a fashion brand. <laughs> well, I had some ideas in my head uh, beforehand um, about starting a fashion brand. And initially I wanted to do it in London and giving work to homeless people because I had been volunteering um, with a homeless shelter mm. uh, before. Um, and that was something that was in my mind. And I had even started creating a business plan. And because of the quarantine, I had a lot of time in my hands. So I was like, yeah, I'll create the business plan. You know, <laughs> I can research the audience and do all these things that I actually know how to do because I have been trained in this. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, hang on why not do it with these women because they they make these textiles so we can actually incorporate it into modern clothing and then i would be helping them and at the same time you know i can help them reach a wider audience because i would be selling it um here well we are selling world worldwide but my initial idea was you know the uk and europe yeah uh, so that's how it kind of came about. And I then uh, got in touch with them because I was also thinking, what is the point if I come here to volunteer? And then when things really get tough and they really need help, because we had been in um, quarantine for about three months at that point, mm. I think. Um, and they uh, grow their own food uh, and they have animals. So 
if they weren't suffering from hunger, um, they're self-sufficient, but what they need is extra income when they want to, you know, have other things or send their kids to higher education or, you know, modern life. Now you need money. You can't just, you know, um, they are quite rural as well. So some of them need to buy cars um, to move around. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's a whole other perspective that comes into place. So how did it work when you were thinking about you know, teaming up with some of the, the artisans and the locals you'd met. Like, I know you have some really incredible stories, just like how that even came about with so many of them. So if maybe you could tell everyone like some of those yeah. stories. So just to give a bit of um, background, um, the brand, I actually work with three different groups. So the first group is the women in rural communities. And for obvious reasons, I already knew them. Um, I had been working with them. I knew uh, what what they wanted and I knew that they needed help. So I called them up and they were like, yeah, <laughs> I said, do you want to work? I, I think I we could make some textiles together. I could buy some of some of your products. And they were so excited. They were like, yes, please, like, let's do it, because this quarantine is just going on and on and on forever. Um, and yeah, let, let's just do it. So we, I went there, um, I had uh, some ideas of what I wanted, but they showed me all of the designs, they showed me uh, the textiles uh, that they make. Uh, and then afterwards I said, okay, I need to put, kind of put the collection together in a presentation, and then I will know um, what we need to do. So I will show you some of the clothes so you know uh, what I'm talking about more specifically because this might all sound like, what is she on about? So for example, what I'm wearing now is a dress. And if you can see, these are the traditional textiles. This is all hand woven by the women. And then uh, we incorporated into it in a, a small family owned factory in Peru. Um, but what is really interesting about it as well is the uh, meaning of the motifs. So for example, these ones are hearts, right? And these are uh, typically woven uh, into the clothes of the bride and groom for their wedding day uh, because it represents love. And this one is a very complicated one to make. Not everyone knows how to make it uh, and it takes a lot of time. Um, but for example, I've got other um once here okay so this is a dress and on the sleeves it has this the signs and so the zigzag it represents the mountains and the paths that are around the community and then the little circles are the eyes of the animals they grow so it's the llamas it's the bulls so all of it has a story, and that's also why um, the brand is called Handmade Stories, yeah. because everything uh, represents, and the beauty is that it represents the lives of the people um, who make it. So this is one of the jumpsuits. Oh, that's cute. It comes um, with the story of who made it and how you're helping them. But for example, this one, this is the tool that they use um, to work the land. Nice. So 
I mean, for for me, it's incredible. I find it fascinating. Um, but I think it's also nice that you can wear clothes that actually tell you a story about the people that are making it and brings you into their reality, you know. Um, and I think that's amazing. So this is the first group that I work with, with the women. Um, and then I also work with uh, jewelry makers, a family of jewelry makers. So they um, have a little workshop in their house and they used to uh, sell uh, the jewelry in markets. And with the pandemic, they couldn't sell it anymore. And actually the market they were selling at just completely closed and all the, all the jewelry was left inside and they couldn't get it. Oh and for months and months, they couldn't even get it. So they couldn't even try to sell it locally. Yeah. Um, and so with them, uh, they looked for uh, jobs elsewhere. So it's a son and a father. And the son was just selling breads in the streets um, of Cusco. Um, so all day uh, from, I think they started at 6 a.m. And they finished at 7 p.m. Every day, um, just trying to sell bread. Um, and also they would get paid on commission. So depending on how much they were selling and you can imagine that bread is not a very expensive item. So they weren't making a lot of money from it. Um, and the dad was trying to sell um, some things um, just at home to neighbors or to, to people that were passing by. So uh, when I met the son, he was so happy. He was so happy that he could, you know, go back to his workshop and make jewelry again. And he, for him, the thing was like, I don't want to be out in the sun for so many hours a day and not see my family at all. And they have, they had a, a really um, small baby, super cute. And he has two other kids as well. And he just wanted to be with them and he wanted to be at his workshop. He could, you know, look after the kids, he could help his wife, um, be with his family and, and do what, what he likes to do, which is creating this amazing jewelry. And I'm so happy. I'm sorry, I'll just show you quickly some of the pieces. <laughs> I, um, I, know, I really love the jewelry, dear. it's so pretty. Yeah. And so that was the second, um, that's the second group uh, that I work with. And then the third one is Men in Prison, which is quite unusual. Um, so yeah, I, I knew the wife of, of one of the men and he told me um, that, his, that his husband was in prison and that they had this program in Peru actually that is called uh, Productive Prisons. And um, in uh, that program, they teach them trades. So they teach them things like shoemaking, they teach them woodwork. So some of them make doors even, they make furniture. Um, and some of uh, what they teach them is to make the traditional uh, Andean textiles. Mm -hmm. And so she said, you know, you love the textiles. If you're into it, um, you can give them work. And there's 40 men at least that will be willing to, to do it and they know how to do it. And the way they do it is um, using looms. So I will show you an example for those. Sorry, I feel like this is a bit of a class. <laughs> okay. For those that are not um, familiar with it, this is what they use to weave it. And so um, that's how they, they make um, these textiles. And what I've done with them is a collection where um, of homewares basically so it's cushion oh, covers this uh, looms will be also for sale 
um, as wall decorations, so you can hang them on the wall. Um, this is an example of a cushion. Oh, nice. Got all the animals um, <laughs> from the area. That's so cool. It's really, really skilled work. It's just amazing. And um, the way I work with them was through their families, um, essentially through the wives, which were absolutely amazing. Um, and so I would say, okay, can we, we looked at the signs and said, okay, can we um, do some cushion covers, for example, uh, how much will it um, cost? And so they would talk to their husbands uh, by phone uh, because we weren't allowed to visit at all. And they still are not over, over a year later and they're still not able to visit. Oh um, because at some point they had 400 cases of COVID inside the prison. And it's just a disaster because it just spread so quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah it, was, it was quite dangerous. So no one was allowed to visit. I've been told that now they're allowed to do video calls with the families, which is really nice because then they could see the kids that they hadn't seen for a year. Oh my goodness. So yeah, well, it's been, it's been amazing. And the way we work is um, they call the husbands and they say, okay, how much will you charge for these cushion covers? Yeah. And then they come back and say the price and I don't haggle with them because I don't think it's fair. And if they think that's the right price, then that's the right price. And that's yeah. how we're going to do it. Um, and that's, part of the ethical you know way of working that I want to do as much as I can for them and so we would buy the materials uh, leave it with the prison guards the prison guards would take them in wow. uh, take them a piece of paper with the designs printed on them <laughs> and some, scribbles, some scribbles saying this goes here this is this color this you know <laughs> and um, yeah the the result is the collection that we is launching in two weeks um and yeah i didn't i actually didn't see it until it, it left the prison obviously so <laughs> that was really interesting because i sent some designs in and what came out was completely unexpected <laughs> so it's great i mean but it's amazing it looks amazing and i'm so glad that's so exciting yeah so i guess like one of the things like the main thing i want to chat well one of the huge things i want to ask you about you know, starting this brand is that obviously there's quite, there's probably quite a lot of people that are tuning in right now that really want to know, you know, if, where do you even start? I mean, obviously you, you've, you started in a sense with your ideas and, you know, you start, you had this like business plan going and you were talking to the locals and figuring that out as you were going, but, you know, did you sketch everything yourself? Did you do your own tech packs? Like how does that all work with someone that you know, because obviously I'm coming from a place that I've been doing fashion most of my life. I've been in the industry for over 10 years. So to me, I'm like, oh God, I don't know what I would do without my knowledge, but you obviously were able to do it. So I think that's probably a lot of questions on people's minds right now, if you can explain. <laughs> so I, um, I had my little business plan. So I kind of knew the audience that I wanted to go for. I knew the kind of collection that I wanted to do. Um, and also one of the things that you learn uh, when you work in advertising or when you, you know, work in strategy is always put yourself in um, the shoes of the consumer. 
So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be selling this online. I want to create pieces that you can work to the office that are comfortable. And then if, uh, you know, you go for drinks after work, which is quite common here in London, (laughs) that can turn into a night out quite easily. You don't need to change outfits. You just look amazing anyways, because you're wearing this, right? Um, So I wanted to create something that was quite like this. And then... um, I wanted uh, to create something that would fit different body shapes as well. Um, Something that you didn't necessarily have to try on just to try to avoid returns. So I was being quite strategic with the things that I wanted and that I was looking for um, just because of that. And then the way I went about it is I went to Pinterest. Who doesn't go to Pinterest for fashion (laughs) inspiration? I went to Pinterest, I started saving, you know, the images that I liked, the styles that I liked, and then I turned to PowerPoint and I said, okay, this is what I want to do. I want kind of this shape for, for example, a dress, but then I want this color kind of for, for the neck. I want this kind of sleeves. So doing a bit of a collage and putting it all together. And then also thinking where the motives were going. And so which motives were going when. So this, I started doing this um, whilst I was working with the women and we were figuring out which motives we could do, how long it took, um, the price and all of that. So it was all happening kind of at the same time. And also, I started planning um, a winter collection because I was very ambitious and I thought I could get it all ready for last winter. And then with COVID, I realized it wasn't going to happen. So I had to readapt everything and come up with a summer, spring summer collection. Um, So that was also quite challenging. But the way, um, as you were talking about tech packs, uh, things like that, obviously I don't have the skill the skills to do that. So I had the image in my head. I had the, not even sketches because I'm not very good at drawing, (laughs) but I had my collages on a presentation. And then I just started looking for factories and I started emailing and emailing and going on different websites. I contacted the Chamber of Commerce uh, of Peru and then they have an alliance with the UK. So I contacted them as well. None of them really (laughs) were very keen (laughs) on the topic of fashion. I think they're more used to um, things like food. Um, So yeah, fashion wasn't wasn't a strong topic, so they didn't help me much, but just Googling and um, emailing factories and trying trying to find one that would actually help me to design uh, my vision. Yeah, because I knew I couldn't create the tech packs myself, so um, I needed a factory that could help me with that as well. And I was very, very lucky that I found, I found a couple that could do it. Um, one in particular that also knew about export, um, exporting, wow. <laughs> which was also a big hassle for me because I didn't know anything about it. I was just Googling day and night about it because I was very scared that things would get um, stuck in customs if I didn't follow you know the regulations so I was looking all of this up and then trying to find a factory and they normally export more to the states or Mexico Um, so they're not so familiar with exporting to Europe yeah Um, 
but yeah, I found this. Um, and then I also had to bring my company values into it. And I wanted to work with a small factory um, that, you know, treated its employees fairly uh, and not just uh, one that would mass produce and, um, you know, just to meet deadlines would make everyone work overnight. So that was also important to me. And one of the challenges also was the minimum or the quantities yeah. that you need. So a lot of the um, a lot of the factories that know how to export and they have the certifications and have everything in place, their minimum or the quantities are about four thousand um, units per color, not even per design wow. per color. I was nowhere near that. <laughs> no way. That's a huge minimum. Like I've I've definitely dealt with a lot of factories recently for smaller brands, and they're kind of more in the one hundred minimum range. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. I think when it comes to export, because it's that extra work and extra paperwork and you need to get certificates for everything. So, for example, for the buttons, you need the certificates. I think maybe because of that, yeah. or also they have a view that maybe if you are uh, foreign, you will have more money to spend. So they try to get you to spend a bit more and yeah. go for um, higher quantities. Um, or maybe also because I didn't have a tech pack and <laughs> I needed that extra help. And they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no I, yeah, I get that. There's a lot of factors that, that come into play. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to to come across this group, and they they work with um, small family-owned factories. And yeah. uh, the first meeting I had with them, I asked them to go to the factories. Actually, I think they were a bit surprised, like, "Oh, you don't want to meet at the office?" I was like, "No, I, I <laughs> let's cut to the chase and just go to the factory first, and then yeah. we can talk from there." Because I wanted to make sure that, you know, this is good for everyone involved and I'm not making any harm to anyone. Yeah, I mean, that's the advantage, I think, with you already being there, was that you were able to do that. Because I know that for a lot of businesses, especially during this time with COVID, that, you know, they haven't been able to go firsthand yeah. to the factories and they're relying really on the certifications they have and, potentially just trying to get videos and you know I think you can obviously pay to get someone to go and do factory inspections as well yeah. um but yeah it's a lot harder at the moment to you know be there in person and really see it so you were yeah. in a way you were lucky that you were already out there yeah and uh, well for me it was very important to be there also because of my lack of knowledge and lack of tech packs and I will keep saying this <laughs> lack of tech packs but um the way we work together is that I show them my designs and then they help me. So some of the designs, they said, OK, you need this kind of fabric because otherwise you, your motives are not going to attach properly to it or right. it's not going to be right. Or you need one that has a special, I don't know how you say in English, but when you wear it, it has a special um, drop, you know, so the fabric has a special weight. Yeah. So it looks like way. a special drape. So Yes, you know a lot <laughs> more about this than me. But so they helped me with all of that, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and then they taught me about, you know, different kind of sleeves, different kind of buttons, even the zips, <laughs> which is uh, great. And for me, just planning ahead a little bit, um, 
I tried to do the winter collection at the same time, just so I could see the samples. And I tried to stay almost through the whole uh, sampling process, which I couldn't do in the end, but almost got through it. And because we did a, a few rounds, obviously, and then decided to change some things. And then maybe they did something, for example, the, the neck that they did for this dress, I didn't like. And the next day I went with a picture of you know, maybe we can do this one. And they're like, okay, yeah, this works. Or for another, um, they said, okay, that won't work because of this, but maybe you can do this other thing. So it communication is so, so, so important. So, so, so important. Yeah. And I was really lucky that was I was there. And I even stayed um, for longer just to be there um, because I think it, it's essential. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, like, how were you able to to fund everything? Was this all your own funding or did you have an investor or anything? No investor. So it's all on me. <laughs> so what I think most people do, you know, especially now, I think a lot of people are, are self-funding their projects. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I will say to anyone thinking about doing this is, and this is one thing that my accountant said to me uh, on the first meeting, and is it will always take longer than you expected, and it will cost more than you expect. And there are so many other costs that you don't take into consideration that do come up later on, um, and yet it does cost more more than you, what you were thinking to spend. So if anyone's thinking about this, um, I would just say, have some money apart uh, for the things that come up. So for example, when you're importing, it can you can incur on some custom um, costs that you weren't taking into consideration. Or for example, I've been uh, invoiced um, twice the wrong amount and I need to claim it back, but you need to pay it in order for them to deliver the goods and then you can claim it back. So it's good to have a bit of extra money on the side just for this kind of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's really good to have that kind of extra side, side money, you know, in those eventualities. Because the thing is with starting a brand, it doesn't always go exactly to plan and you do have to prepare for that. Definitely, yeah, definitely. So what would you say are the challenges and rewards of launching a, an ethical label like this? Well, even just a label in general, but obviously ethical as well. Yeah, so for an ethical label, I think the rewards are immense and you can just feel it and touch them from day one. So for me, I'm in touch with the people that make the clothes and I'm constantly in touch with them. So the women, for example, they call me um, even now in the distance. Uh, they know I'm here, whatever they need. So we still keep that communication. Um, and I can see how the project impacts their lives, which is the beauty of it, because I can see the real life impact that I'm having in their lives. Um, so that is amazing. And it's not the same sending off, uh, you know, your production off to a factory where you don't really know anyone, just having it done and receiving it than actually knowing the people that are making it and knowing the impact that you're having in their lives. I think that's something that's priceless and it's the big, big bonus of this. On the flip side, uh, I know that I can't scale the business as other businesses do. 
Um, because I can't say to the women, for example, okay, I need you to weave faster and um, for longer because I work with them around their schedule. So they look after their animals, they look after the families, they look after the land, and they do this afterwards. So I can't say, no, you need to work nine to five for me and just weave until this is done. I need to work around their lifestyle. Um, so for me, it's not a case of asking them to do more, but in the future of finding other groups to work with. So I know I will never get to um, have a collection that has a million, you know, units of something or thousands and thousands. It's all going to be uh, small, but because it's small produced and I, yeah, I, I care about the people. Yeah. Um, so that's a big uh, challenge um, in terms of scaling that I will need to, you know, look into later on <laughs> at a later date if everything goes well. But I think the the gratification that you get from it is so is so much more than you know the money that you can make um, with a bigger collection. I think. Yeah. In my case, I think it, it all uh, depends on the values you have and it, it all depends on the way you want to live uh, your life. But I'm sure that there's always a way to do things in a more ethical and a more friendly way for, for everyone. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have any products. Um, so they are the most essential part of my business. Um, so it, I think it's only fair that they get the best treatment um, from me. I guess as, I mean, th these kind of questions will kind of go together in a way, but as someone that hadn't had any fashion background, I guess what are the biggest difficulties you found that you feel like, oh, maybe if I'd have had that background, I'm, it might have been an easier process. Was there anything that, you know, kind of stood out to you as being pretty difficult with that? Um, I think probably finding factories because it was a new world for me. Yeah. I emailed over 50 factories and I only heard back from about five and I met with um, four of them in person. I had some phone calls uh, with others, but the main, the main thing was how do I go about this? And I will say to anyone trying to start anything, Google is your friend, <laughs> it has answers, has a lot of answers, just keep going at it. And don't get discouraged if you don't hear back because I didn't hear back from most of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's fine, things happen as they, they were supposed to. So think as a consumer, I think is one of the biggest ones, think as a consumer, um, and trust your gut and keep going because a lot of challenges will come along the way, a lot of them, yeah. um, but keep going. And one of the things is also that, I know when you're starting your own fashion brand, you're like all about production and that's what you're focusing on, but running a business is so much more than just the production. And now I'm realizing the production is a small part of it. Although when you're in the middle of it, it feels like everything is your whole world. But once you finish that part and you move into the next one, so planning for the launch and then doing the launch. And then now after the launch, um, I feel like I've gone into a whole new phase that's completely different um, to the production phase. There's so many other things um, that you need to think about. 
So I think my skills in this instance were really useful because coming from an advertising background um, and a business background, um, I knew I knew a lot of things from the business side mm -hmm. and I found the people that would help me from the fashion side. So uh, one of the things that I would say is if you don't know how to do something, try to find someone <laughs> that does and think if you can, you know, outsource that because in the long term, in the long run, it might be better. So what um, like key, like major key lessons do you think you learned after all of this? So, so I've, got, I've got a few um I've, I've got a bit of a list um of advice for for people if, yeah. if they're... <laughs> the first one uh, would be you know have a clear idea of what you want to do have a very clear idea of what your brand uh, you want your brand to stand for so for example in my case i wanted it all to be surrounded the ethical side of things and then when i got into the madness of production i was like oh my god why am i not just importing stuff from China, you know, making t-shirts, which is so easy to do. Um, but you need to make sure that you're stay, staying true to your values and what you want your brand to stand for. And this will help you massively when making decisions in the future. So even for me, looking at factories, trying to decide who to go with, I was always, even looking for a photographer, I always tell them about the business. I want everyone that works in the business that does even the smallest job for the business to align with the values of the business. Mm -hmm. And this will help you massively because a lot of opportunities will arise along the way. You'll get carried away. You'll be like, I'm going to do this other product. I'm going to launch this other thing. This will help you keep focused, you know, and follow, follow your path and what hopefully is the right path for you. The next one is, um, try to create a community around you even before you launch your brand. Um, so if you already work in fashion, for example, you can share your sketches, start creating a bit of a community in uh, social media, even if it's, you know, on a Facebook group or you've got an Instagram account or now TikTok, you know, that's really big right now. So share your sketches, share your uh, processes. And if you can uh, find your niche, and stick to it, I think that's the most important thing. So I know some people that uh, make clothes uh, from leftover fabrics, for example. So focus on that. Tell people that that's your passion. Show them, you know, little designs that you're doing. Show them how you're stitching them together. If you know how to do that, I've got no clue how to do that. <laughs> uh, but if you know how to do that, do it. If you don't have any idea um, how to do any of that, but you are passionate about, you know, eco-friendly products, for example, talk about that, you know, look for sources, educate people about that. Just say, you know, the little changes in your life that you're making. I follow a woman, for example, on Instagram, and she just said, you know, I quit Amazon. This is how I'm doing it. That's amazing. People care about this thing. So try to build a community that aligns, that aligns with those values. Yeah. Um, that uh, will help you when launching your brand, for sure. Money we've already touched on, you'll always need more. So try not to spend all of it <laughs> in your production. Save a bit for later, save for a rainy day. You know, things will come up that you didn't expect. Save for that. And then save a bit for marketing as well, because uh, you will need to invest in things. Um, and it's good to have that cushion and not to, you know, have your whole production done and suddenly be like, 
oh, I can't keep going because I don't have enough money to actually launch this into the world. Um, the next one, ah, also related to money. <laughs> there are free things online. So if you are in the UK, for example, I found this out when I was doing my research. Um, I needed to find out how to do the imports into the UK. So I started looking for accountants. And I found that I find out that accountants actually give you a free session. Most of them give you a free session um, so you can decide if you want to work with them. They give you advice and they give you a lot, a lot of advice and a lot of good advice. So I was there and the sessions might be half an hour, might be even an hour long. I sat there with my notebook, taking notes. Everything they were saying was so useful and they are the experts. So, you know, this is really, really important information that they have that you can just learn from them for free. And then if you decide that it's the right thing to do for you to hire one of them, then go ahead. I did because I thought it's a really important um, side of the business that is also not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and you pay them once a year and that's it. They do your accounts and you know you're safe and you're not going to go into massive fines. Yeah. Um, so I think that is very useful and you can get all of that knowledge for free. Next one is follow your gut. So you have the idea, you've done your research, you've done all the work. People will tell you a lot of things, but only you know what's right for you and your business. And this is very important because people will start saying, do this, do that. And you can start doubting yourself. And obviously you're going to doubt yourself. It's only natural and we're only human, but follow your gut and go back to your values, consult with them, and come back and say, okay, I'm not listening to you. I'm following my path. You're the expert in your business. You know what's right. What else do we have? Um, I think we touched on this earlier, the start with low quantities and test it. Um, this is quite important before you put all of your money. And I've heard stories of people that have bought, um, bought like 4,000 units of something and four years down the line, they still have them sitting in their storage room if they're lucky enough to have a storage room <laughs> because they couldn't sell it. And, you know, as a new starter, you can get carried away because uh, the price is lower if you buy in um, high quantities. Just don't do it first test see if it's selling if it's selling make more you can always make more just yeah. think like that i think i've touched on the outsource important things things that you feel that you don't have the the knowledge to do if you have the money um or even think of what is important and save that money for that like accountants for me I talked to them, they told me, okay, this is the rate. And I said, okay, I know I'm gonna keep this money for in a year when I need to do my annual accounts. I've got that money to pay this person because I, I they can save you a lot of money as well. Yeah. They know what they're doing and they can save you a lot of money. So it's a good, good thing to embed. Ah, and lastly, and <laughs> I will shut up now, I promise. No, this is super interesting. I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat listening to you. <laughs> Last thing is, um, don't feel like you have to know everything and everything needs to be perfect before you launch. And this is something that has kept me up at night. And I was thinking, I can't launch if I don't do this or I don't, I don't know about this um, or this fabric, is it good enough? And 
every you know you have so many questions and don't feel like you need to have all the answers and don't feel that everything needs to be perfect like getting certifications i wish i had all the certifications in the world i wish i could have them but they are expensive and your focus is to try to get something to market get your product out there see if it's selling and then you can do all of the other things so i wanted to trademark my brand first thing off, the accountants say, wait a little, don't just do it straight away. Things like that, like don't feel that you need to have everything, insurance, please have it in place. But other than that, <laughs> don't feel like you need to know everything or have everything in place before you go ahead and launch because you will figure out things as you go. And feeling that you don't know anything, everything and that you don't have everything in place will just delay you. And there's people that don't even ever get to launch because they're just waiting for the perfect time to have the perfect product to have you know everything needs to be perfect and that's also a way of self-sabotage and you'll end up spending years um, with this idea and you people have done it spent years and never launched well and the longer so, you wait maybe the less relevant your idea back then was in the first place less relevant the product could be so you kind of just have to go for it don't you exactly just just go for it and uh, sometimes <laughs> I also think uh, when you ask me oh how did you do it with no experience I'm like oh you know what in a way um, ignorance is a bliss you know yeah. <laughs> if I knew how hard it was going to be I don't know if I would have done it I'm glad I've done it now like when you're on the other side you're like yeah I'm, I'm good it's good but when you're in the middle of it there's so many unknowns and sometimes it's better um, not to know about all the possible things that might go wrong and I feel that because I didn't have all that knowledge I was like, I'm just going to do it and just find a way to do it. Whereas if I knew all of these things, I would have been a lot more worried a lot about a lot of these things. Yeah. Um, so it's again, follow your gut feeling. It doesn't need to be perfect the first time, you know, you're learning, you're developing, you're trying to create something great, just go for it. Yeah. I think that's all like amazing advice, to be honest, because <laughs> I mean, the thing is as well, both me and you like come from completely different backgrounds in that sense and that you know you've kind of gone through this like you said ignorance is bliss route whereas I kind of come from the opposite end and I've I've seen firsthand everything that can go wrong so I'm always you know whenever I work with clients I'm always trying to you know prepare them for these different things and try and iron out everything before things can even go wrong so I think in some ways I like the way that you come at it because you've just kind of been able to to move along and adapt as things change and which is always good thank you so much to Alina for sharing her unique story if you want to learn more about her brand and check out her collection you can visit her website handmadestoriesworld.com I hope you enjoyed today's episode Alina is such an inspiration and had so much valuable advice for anyone wanting to start a brand and get into the sustainable and ethical fashion space as always, please don't hesitate to get in touch via social media via our handle at Fashion and the Free on Instagram and TikTok. And you can check out the website fashionandthefree.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and I'll see you on the next episode.